The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Tēnā to Duncan Grieve here. Thank you so much for listening to The Fold in 2023. I, I really enjoyed making it um, and, and I also enjoyed the way you as the audience sort of indulged me kind of getting a bit rangy with the, the sort of bounds of media work. This podcast started in quite a – this is about the business side of media and about the news and I think – the more it's gone on, the more I've stretched and, and chafed at that bound. And that's because I think by talking to both practitioners and business side people across a very broad scope of what you can consider media to be, you know, you find that you learn something and in some case something quite profound from, you know, talking to uh, people from all these different fields, um, especially in this sort of very dynamic, very challenging era. So uh, I'm taking a little break over summer to read some books about media and um, not be at work, which will be nice. But to hold you over, I've picked out uh, a few of my favourite episodes and we'll be running those as as reissues over summer. So here is one of those. We'll be back mid-late January with more from The Fold. But until then, uh, enjoy and thanks for listening. Uh, my guest this week is Gavin Morris, who is the former Director of News Analysis and Investigations at the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and now is the MD of Bastion Transform, which is a, an organisation which works to help other organisations uh, transform digitally, basically meet the challenge of, of this era. And I think this is a pretty special episode. Uh, I've, I've known Gavin for a little while. I think I first met him at a, one of the conferences that used to happen during a what feels now like quite a distant but also a fairly recent era of social media where the likes of Facebook and Google would fly you up to Singapore or Thailand and get a bunch of people from around the region to have a a chat about how things were going, and uh, Gavin was there from the ABC. He, the the ABC's relationship, and he discusses this with the the balance of Australian commercial media, particularly the the Murdoch press, is can be pretty fraught. So we ended up chatting a bit, but uh, I met him again on a recent um, trip to Sydney, and within like thirty seconds, I was just you know hanging hanging off his every word. There's just a kind of a level of clarity and insight to what he says about media, which 
I only very rarely encountered um, in, in my life in this business. Um, and the reason for that is because he, he has done things. You know, the, the ABC is renowned for having undergone a very successful digital transformation of taking its, it, what was predominantly linear radio and television services and kind of figuring out how to make those sing in different environments, which is not a simple process. It isn't, as so often I think the misconception has been just taking what you're doing in linear or print or whatever it is and just putting it on the internet. That's just not the job. And so he he completed that process at a whole of organization level, dealt with all of the pushback, all of the, the pain, um, because he believed in the prize and, you know, saw how existential it was. You know, that, that fundamentally is what the the conceptual idea behind ANZPM, the merger of TVNZ and RNZ was. And obviously that has been abandoned now. That does not change the urgency that, that sort of the public media and media more broadly in New Zealand faces right now. We aren't as far along as we should be, uh, any of us. And which is why I think that the story Gavin has to tell is, is so important and and interesting. So, yeah, I think there's a lot in here for people working in any aspect of the media who are trying to figure out how to wrestle with this this very, uh, yeah, with with all of the opportunity, but also all of the the very real and challenging dangers of of this moment and the the one that's hurtling down the the pipe at us. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed this. This is Gavin Morris, the MD of Bastion Transform on the fold. Uh, Kia ora, Gavin, and welcome to the fold. Uh, Kia ora, Duncan. Uh, Really great to be here. Uh, So I'm, I'm really, really excited to have you on the podcast today. You know, Based largely on, we had a conversation in Sydney last year where you explained the process that you kind of put news at the ABC through, uh, which which was very thrilling and instructive in terms of what what the the, the that you know big important beast had had to to go through to get to where it is now, and it also feels like one that you know in the after, aftermath of us dropping the the planned merger of TVNZ and RNZ is something that we really need to think about at, at a sector level in New Zealand. I wonder if you could just start by explaining a bit about your background in that role, but then really what what it was you kind of how, how it was you came to think about uh, that that digital transformation of of the the institution of the ABC. Yeah, Duncan, it goes back a couple of steps, I suppose. I'd spent a good decade or so in international news um, and I suppose stepping into projects when things were changing a lot in the international market. So I joined CNN, for instance, when there was a big expansion of CNN.com to work on how to make CNN a relevant online uh, service. I then moved years later to Al Jazeera when Al Jazeera was launching Al Jazeera English, which was the first really big global multi-platform startup uh, service. Um, And then I came back into Australia at a time when the public broadcaster, the ABC in Australia, 
I think was at a real crossroads. It had a very strong heritage in broadcasting, in, in television and radio, but very linear broadcasting, still quite scheduled programming, still uh, a demographic that was starting to show its age, was starting to, to, to uh, sort of dip in numbers and, and really start to reduce. And so there's quite an aspiration in the ABC to see how they might start to make a much bigger journey into the digital realm. Um, so the first kind of role I played at the ABC was to launch a television news channel, 24-hour television news channel at the ABC, which is now called ABC News Channel. Um, and then after that, it really was this move to how do you now, having moved into continuous news, how do you turn that into a digital piece? So great resources in linear broadcasting with great reputation and a great heritage having to think about how to move into the digital realm and really engage a different type of audience and, and di different demographics in the, in the audience. And so that, that was the challenge we embarked on. Um, and I, I stepped in in about 2015 to the role of the director of news for the ABC. So this is overseeing a team of sort of 1,300 people, everything from you know, our social media through to our documentary and, and long-form current affairs. And, and really, we then began this process of thinking about how you turn a great uh, linear broadcaster into a, an extraordinary digital public media service. And I guess that there's sort of two, on some level, conflicting elements to that job, which, you know, one of which is that the whole point, the whole kind of permission system for public media is that it should be for everybody. You know, everybody pays for it. Uh, but it's also, it's these, these are institutions that have been built up over a long period of time. And, you know, people are rightly very kind of protective of them. They, when you change is inherently, you know, freighted with risk. You know, so how did you kind of resolve that? How did you make the these teams who who worked on you know these absolutely treasured uh, sort of sub brands within the ABC empire understand and and come on that journey with you? Duncan, first of all, I made a great big mistake uh, when I first went into that job. One thing I'd interpreted was this incredible change in the habits of the audience. So, and I think this is not an uncommon story for most traditional media organisations at the time. The audience had gone way ahead of where the organisations were to keep up with their habits. So the technology had changed, people's habits had changed, you know, phones and online and digital and social media and all of these things had vastly you know, altered the way we consume news information and entertainment. So I, I could see all of that. And what I did was I went into that job and told everybody at the ABC we needed to be digital first. This was a terrible thing to say. Uh, and it was a big mistake that I learned quite quickly from. Talking to long-form broadcast uh, proponents who are very proud of doing journalism in, in broadcast medium that they had to be digital first uh, really did kind of set us back in the conversation. Uh, and so um, what I, I quite quickly got my head around was to say, all right, well, how do we make this something that they can actually find not so threatening and challenging? This whole burning platform argument made people fold their arms and sort of put their hands up in denial and say, well, if the platform's burning, I'll go down with the ship type of thing. And, and so we had to turn it into a much more aspirational and ambitious conversation 
where even great linear broadcasters who were great doing long-form radio and television could see their future in the context of where we had to move to. So what we tried to do then was run a series of pilots with many of these teams to sort of say, look, give us a small opportunity to try to do something a little bit different here. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're not kind of having a revolution for the sake of it. We're not kind of pouring water on the burning platform. What we are going to do is sort of show you what might be possible if we all explore this territory together. Take what is great about the content we're already making and the journalism we're already producing and then show where the pathways are through to newer audiences. So through a series of these pilots with different program teams and in different newsrooms, what we were suddenly able to do was show that actually if we take our very best content and, and I called it give it an equal digital life as in make it equally accessible, equally high quality, equally relevant to digital audiences as it was to broadcast audiences, my, my hunch and, and my team's kind of, the, you know, the work we did with the leadership team at the time at the ABC was we think we can build a bridge to growing new audiences in different ways. We ran a series of these pilots. We collected the results. And of course, what it showed was we were starting to reach younger audiences. We were starting to reach native digital audiences. We were becoming fairly dominant on social media platforms. And then we had a really good story to take back to those teams to say, look at how we can make your incredible work relevant to future audiences. And with that, we were sort of off and racing. Can you, because that's one of those things where, you know, I think even people who are, you know, potentially leaning against uh, that, that, you know, a modernization, they will find that a relatively un uncontroversial idea where it always in my sort of observational experience seems to come unstuck is the the kind of practicalities of of how that is imposed on a on an existing system you know for example at, at TVNZ you know which has some aspects of its digital transformation have been, I think, executed very well, but notoriously within the newsroom, for example, the 6pm news still has this kind of enormous gravity that is quite hard to resist. So could you maybe just pick an example of a property within ABC that that underwent the process and, and just talk about how that sort of, I, whether it's platform agnosticism or digital first, whatever, how they could do both jobs at once, essentially, how that happened. So the, the, the most famous, long-standing, reputable program in terms of television journalism in Australia is a program called Four Corners. Um, this is program's run for 60 years. It's been the backbone of great journalism in Australia. It's kind of created more ministerial resignations and royal commissions and, you know, downfalls of governments and things of any other, you know, journalism outlet in the country. Um, and sitting down with that team who are the best and brightest television documentary makers in Australia and saying, look, we need to think about how we can reach digital audiences, I have to say was a little bit challenging right up front. Um, they're pretty happy with the services they've been providing Australia over 60 years and the service to the community. Um, and so really it was that point where I figured telling them they needed to be digital first was really not a great way to take them. But running one of these pilots with them and saying, look, give us one episode where we can bring the best digital talents that we have. And rather than producing some digital content or online content at the end of the production process, which is how quite often 
mainstream media organizations were doing it, well, we made our film. Now, how do we make an online story out of that? We said, let us have access to collaborating with you from the very beginning of the commissioning process for that program and let the digital expertise sit alongside your journalism and broadcast expertise and see if we can't build something great out of that. And what we ended up doing was building what was a, a pretty rich and pretty vibrant, pretty extensive, long-form digital article that was released the same day as the as the as the broadcast. Um, and of course, it, it performed brilliantly. It uh, drew in a different audience, an audience that was never going to watch the program on a linear television schedule on a on a sort of late on a Monday night. Um, and so that really, when the team could see the way that that digital story had performed, obviously they then said, "Well, we're going to embrace this, and and this is for us." And um, and then and then on we went. The argument then said was was less about um, stop forcing us to be digital, and it was more about how can we have some more digital resources. And at that point, we were we were we were off and racing. So, so that's what what's interesting to me about that is. It doesn't necessarily imply like a, a vast expansion of budget, that which is always going to be an issue with, you know, like in any situation. But but public media worldwide is is challenged um, in terms of the how do you kind of serve two audiences simultaneously without doubling a budget when that's you know like politically impractical. What kind of if you could do a rough back of the envelope in terms of how much kind of resource or cost expansion did it require to take this core object and have it work in two different work brilliantly rather than just adequately in two different realms so i've told you the nice part of the story now comes the challenging part of the story because at the same time as this sort of transformation was getting underway we had a couple of very significant budget cuts so that you know public broadcasting is great when it's got stable and consistent budgets, but it's very challenging when budgets are cut significantly and we had big budget cut. So we had to try and affect the transformation while absorbing some fairly significant budget cuts. Um, and so having done this one episode and done some of these pilots with newsrooms and programs with extra resource, we then had to say to them, well, you've now seen what's possible. Now we've got to think about how we can resource that within your existing you know, so now we've got to talk about role change. We've got to talk about upskilling some of your people with different digital skills. We have to talk about cutting some things that we're no longer going to do. So one of the really controversial things we did is we say, look, here are the things we think we do best at ABC News. We've got to protect, enhance, and grow them an equal digital life. But then we had to identify the things that perhaps weren't so important to the future of the organisation and we had to make some cuts and some reductions. And so, for instance, we had a, a late-night news program in Australia called Late Line, which had been going for a generation, uh, still a very loved brand, a very kind of respected journalism brand, but we couldn't afford to do it anymore um, as a second nightly current affairs program if we were also going to bring resources into creating this much richer digital journalism content. So Late Line was axed. Um, you know, in changing some of the things we did, we wanted to do in audio and making more digital audio and audio on demand. We got rid of, a, uh, you know, and unfortunately, a, a very respected radio news bulletin in the mornings that have been going since World War II. So one of the things we had to do was identify where we thought the best opportunity for us was reaching digital audiences and enhancing our best content in journalism. 
But then we had to identify the things we could no longer afford to do that might have rich legacy, but just weren't necessarily part of the direction we need to go in the future. And that's where in any of these transformation strategies, the rubber hits the road. You know, here's our aspiration for where we want to be. Here's the stuff we think will stack up well for digital audiences. But therefore, here are the things that we have to reduce or stop doing or turn away from, even though many of our staff and some of our audience still love those things. I mean, and that's what I think has been the issue in in New Zealand is that the organisations on some level feel a bit like they they can't, you know, like, like an example here was when RNZ was going to announce plans to shut its kind of concert program with this sort of classical and um, jazz sort of station and, and turn it into a youth station. You could argue about whether putting your youth brand on on uh, FM radio in, in 2021 is the right decision. That That's sort of almost immaterial. But the uh, outcry was such that basically uh, from a political level on down that, that was um, – that was cancelled. There must have been some some blowback internally and externally. You know, did, how did you sort of hold your nerve through that, or is there anything which you know? Was there a kind of a political or, or a media kind of pushback to it that required a strategizing around? You know, basically, people just don't like change. You know, that's just that's just humanity. So if you're an observer of the Australian media context, you'll understand that nothing gets the scrutiny uh, and the attention uh, like anything else really in, in this kind of country than the ABC. And so even the smallest change becomes amplified into this incredible kind of series of critiques and commentary and, um, you know, and you'd be surprised to hear, particularly from the Murdoch mm. press here, that, that, you know, fundamentally doesn't believe in a publicly funded and supported media. Um, and so, uh, and, and obviously that then has resonance within the, the teams and within the staff. You know, if you're one of the journalists that works on Late Line and that program's being axed because of a digital future that some people haven't yet been able to see or grasp or reach, incredibly difficult process to work our way through. But I, I had a great leadership team and, and what they stayed focused on through budget cuts and a period of uh, internal upheaval in the organisation was the strategic outcomes, which was if we could do these things and we could do them well, the prize at the end of the strategy was this profile of audience. And we quantified it. We set very firm targets around what we wanted the, the outcomes to be in audience terms. I mean, and get this, this was in a, a period of three or four years, we were promising to double the digital audience at the, for ABC News. So to take it to a reach that was industry best practice and effectively double what it was and to shift about 30% of all the time and effort within ABC News to shift that towards digital effort. Um, so these are these are very significant shifts in a, in a relatively short period of time. But I suppose the value that I got looking back on that strategy now is we not only achieved those outcomes, we kind of smashed them. Um, and so may, ensuring that you were able to stay resolute and, and be confident of the strategic outcomes, having set yourself really clear goals, having a good team and having a plan that you thought made sense. And, you know, we adjusted it along the way, but we didn't fundamentally abandon it at the sign of pressure or at the sign of criticism. Um, 
we ended up achieving and then some what we'd set out to do. And by the time I left the ABC, you know, kind of a bit over a year ago, we were the number one digital news provider in Australia. We were the youngest touch point for the ABC across all of its channels and outlets. Um, and we had, you know, got ourselves to a position where the goals that we'd set at the beginning of that strategy were left in the dust. We were way ahead of all of the things that we'd set out to achieve when we embarked on that strategy. How did you know when when it was time to go for you in terms of like there must have been some sense of that that giant epochal project having feeling like it had come to uh, if not you know, a conclusion because these things kind of never can end but a, a point where you were sort of satisfied that it was was complete on some level. I'm a sort of change person. The reason I went to CNN.com, the reason I went to Al Jazeera, the reason I came back to the ABC is because I love the process of change and uh, I love implementing that. And I think having got through two strategic programs as the the head of ABC News, I I, kind of really having sort of searched my imagination, I didn't really know uh, what I would embark on next. And I thought, look, rather than having a third round of strategic change, it might be time for some fresh thinking and some fresh ideas that aren't mine. Um, but meanwhile, maybe I could go off and help other organisations sort of traverse some of this um, terrain. I think the really big lesson I learned about digital transformation, and this is a lesson that I think all organisations need to understand, digital transformation is not about just adding new digital things onto the stuff you already do. Um, you know, if all you do is incrementally add more things on uh, and seek to kind of grow your way to digital audiences by just doing more and more and more, teams can't maintain that. That is, that is, and budgets can't maintain that. It doesn't matter if you're a public media or you're a commercial media, just doing more and more things all the time, you know. And I think by the time I'd left the ABC, one of my reflections was, and I had these conversations with many of the teams and my leadership team, maybe we we were trying to do a little bit too much. And I talked about it, I talked about it as velocity, the velocity that which we were traveling to try and feed all of these different audiences. Perhaps we needed to rein that in a little bit. And I figured that maybe it was time that somebody else got to sort of appraise where we'd got to in this digital transformation and maybe make some adjustments and you know, ensure that we were consolidating a little bit around the things that mattered most to us. And maybe that was for the next person, not, not the person who had affected the change. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
So obviously, the, the story you're telling will be of intense interest to our audience because of the extent to which it parallels what's been, at least to me and to many of us, the kind of the, the consuming saga of recent years, which has been the the attempt to now abandon, attempt to merge TVNZ and RNZ into a new entity called ANZPM. I wondered if you could, which I, I gather you've been observing and potentially participating in in some uh, aspect, I wondered if you could talk about the the sort of general thesis of the merger itself and you know what to what extent you believe that that was an appropriate response to you know the same challenges that you were outlining for the ABC look i think one of the challenges with what was attempted with the public media project in new zealand uh was i'm not sure that in the beginning there was enough strategic thought given to what the outcomes were going to be. Now, I, I actually think it was a really good idea, and I think um, had it strategically had very clear goals around if we are going to do this, here is what we will see um, as outcomes of this. Really clearly enunciated, uh, you know, in my in my you know, belief, um, with really clear targets set around that. Um, both around how to consolidate resources, how to reach bigger and better audiences, how to improve the quality of journalism. If all of that had been really clearly enunciated, for, for me, it was a no-brainer. A, a really great, strong public media that sits across all of the platforms and all of the outlets um, is an incredible source for good in a society. Um, and what you currently have in New Zealand is obviously two very different models and digital sort of fits in there somewhere, but it's not really clear how both Radio New Zealand and TVNZ are, are, are sort of thinking about where their, their, their digital destination is. Now, they're working really hard on ensuring that they've got great content plans and strategies, but bringing those two things together, having a great outcomes-driven strategy around those things and then, and then making sure that you're consolidating the resources in the back office to make sure that as much of the possible funding is on the screen and on the, you know, uh, on the digital screens and on the television and screens and coming out through the radio, that's the most important thing is the value to the audience really well enunciated when you're going to attempt a big project like that. And I think maybe that's where if you had your time over again in New Zealand, you, you, you might have kind of got to that point of enunciating that a little bit better. But I'm a really strong believer in strong public media, and um, I do think that uh, journalism is usually in an, in an ecosystem, in a social society ecosystem, much stronger for having a, a, a well-empowered, well-funded public media that is independent of all other influences, political, commercial, and all of those things to do great journalism, to provide great entertainment content that is culturally in tune with the country uh, and to deliver uh, a, a social purpose that, that matters to a democracy. I think it's a really important thing. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think Radio New Zealand TVNZ don't have those principles in mind. I, they do. Um, but uniting those principles and putting it in a model that's fit for the digital age, I thought made some sense. You, did you view, uh, you know, that one of the reasons, uh, you know, I think you're, you're. I think not many people would argue with the lack of enunciating clearly the the sort of strategy and function of the thing. But one of the impediments it had, and this seemed to surprise the minister, sort of, except was the fear from commercial organisations of of that mixed model. Do you think there was 
a way to resolve that? Or do you think that that was a sort of a well-founded, uh, you know, apprehension on the part of the, the private sector media that would be competing not just for attention, which is what the ABC does, but also for for commercial revenues to, to, to support their businesses with, with this new institution? It's a pretty difficult omelette to unscramble. But once you've done that piece of work, it's it's a one-off piece of work. And then you've set the new entity on a new footing to go forward uh, and not, not to uh, forget the great things that both of those organisations had done individually in the past, but set the combined new entity off in a new direction that's very clear about strategically what it's seeking to achieve. So absolutely, it's a difficult process to go through. But in my mind, it's a couple of years of difficult change. And many organisations in our society, in our economy, are going through these sorts of changes all the time. So I'm certainly not one of those people that says, well, difficult change is best just left alone because, you know, it, it might be tricky as we find our way through it. My argument is, yep, the, the prize is worth more than the difficulty you'll go through to get to the prize. So um, be patient, be organised, be strategic, but, but don't not do it because it's going to be difficult. Now that it has been abandoned, the we are left with sort of three... Uh, different entities, uh, at least three, um, which which all have a public media role to play, being RNZ, TVNZ, and also New Zealand on Air, the kind of decentralised model. You know, you could make arguments for uh, sort of funding amplifying anyone or or all of or some combination of them. If you had to, you know, if, if, if you were the minister and, and looking at the kind of gap between where we are and where we need to be, you know, which of them or which combination or, or you know, how, how would you go about kind of building something out of the, the ashes of this kind of failed uh, program? It's why I was such an advocate for why it was a a good model, because you've got the incredible journalism and content integrity of RNZ. Uh, It's one of the great broadcasters in the world in terms of the quality of the content it produces, in terms of its uh, adherence to public broadcasting principles and ideals. And for, for what it's given, I think it does one of the most incredible jobs in public broadcasting anywhere in the world. You then look at TVNZ and you've got this incredibly successful organisation that creates vibrant programming, um, reaches a vast audience, uh, you know, has really thought about how to be relevant to the broadest possible cross-section of New Zealanders. Um, and then in the middle of it, you've got New Zealand on air with this principle that um, uh, that the, uh, the distributor of the content doesn't necessarily be uh, the the owner of all the resources that go into creating that content. And I think those three things together, you know, in an ecosystem as it currently exists, work pretty well. But imagine the power of bringing those three things, you know, closer together. Uh, and I think that's a challenge now for the public media ecosystem in New Zealand. How do you get RNZ and TVNZ to reflect on what each other does well, uh, to potentially partner on some digital content initiatives or some journalism initiatives that bring those two principles together. How does New Zealand on air then, you know, empower that and, and, and bring that to life? If out of this opportunity those things don't happen, then I think you really are in perilous territory 
where RNZ and TVNZ continue to go down what are still, you know, largely platform-based, you know, radio and television models. And then you've got New Zealand on air then, you know, obviously playing a, a critical role in sort of filling some of those um, uh, essential gaps. But um, you would like to at least think that out of the abandonment of the merger comes greater collaboration uh, and and the ability for each of the players to see the value that they provide in the ecosystem and then to say, all right, well, how might we collaborate to bring the values together um, and to achieve something, again, first and foremost for the audience. You know, organisationally, um, particularly public broadcasters, we get very set in our ways of thinking what matters internally to us as an organisation is what drives our decisions and what drives our editorial choices and what drives the way we, we seek to do our job, whereas what absolutely has to come first and foremost, and this was the piece that perhaps was missing in the public broadcast merger project, was what are we trying to achieve for audiences because they're the ones who are the key stakeholders and the shareholders in, the, in, in this. And if the citizens of New Zealand feel like they're getting, getting great value, then, then, then the public media is doing its job well. Do you, you know, I think the, the issue, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to argue with, with those statements. And yet, despite that being basically the, the obvious outcome we could seek, collaboration has proven as difficult as digital transformation within our sector. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say, even though it is, is often used as this, why don't we see more collaboration piece? Like people end up fighting over you know, elements which, you know, shouldn't be barriers but, but, but prove insurmountable. If you were to pick one of the three organisations to take that sort of leadership role and kind of attempt to sew this thing together such that we can get the most out of, of each of those three entities with all of their kind of relationships out into the, the rest of the media and public media spheres, which which one would you, do you think, probably has the most potential to, to start to knit the thing together? Here's how I'd approach that question. Is journalism as strong as it could possibly be in New Zealand in holding powerful to account in challenging issues that the public need challenged in pursuing um, problems that um, only a public broadcaster might end up pursuing? You know, firstly, what's the answer to those questions? And if the answer to those questions is journalism could be stronger, we could be doing more to, to, to challenge the powerful, we could be doing more to represent the issues of New Zealanders and, and, and elevate them, then Radio New Zealand has more of a role to play in my view. Um, equally, is the culture of New Zealand being amplified back into an ecosystem that is completely these days dominated by multi-platform services that beam content into us and are available 24 hours a day on all sorts of different devices, um, of which quite often none of that content is uh, domestic or Indigenous or reflecting local cultures and tastes. And if so... TVNZ have got a really critical role to play um, in that as well. Um, so, so there are your challenges. Is journalism strong enough? Is culture being reflected well enough? Is the service we're getting out of the money we're investing in these services, and in TVNZ's case, obviously, they earn that money themselves, but, but are we getting the impact for what we need in a, for a small country that is in a very large ocean now of, expensive international contents and, and, and platforms that are tripping over themselves 
to steal our eyeballs and our ears. Um, you know, are we organised well enough to at least represent New Zealand's concerns, New Zealand's culture uh, within that sort of environment? And and so I'm sort of not quite settling on one organisation over <laughs> the other, but it's why I think those three elements of your public ecosystem have such an important role to play. And if what ends up happening is they keep going down divergent paths, then it will be, in my view, less powerful than it would be if they were finding ways to do a better job of collaborating on behalf of the public. So, Gavin, just I wonder if you could think about ChatGPT, which has been the, obviously this dominant technology media uh, story over the past few months, and it's spiralling kind of plausible implications for media, most of which are, you know, more in the realm of conjecture than reality at this point, but still feel very potent. Yeah, what what do you, how do you see its its implications for media and how should media organisations respond to its rise? I, I was reflecting on something Brad Smith from Microsoft said uh, the other day, In uh, you know, as, as Microsoft and Bing and ChatGPT go down this new sort of marriage and arrangement. And he said, look, the developments that we thought we would see in artificial intelligence as it relates to content uh, that we thought would come about by 2033 are happening in 2023 right in front of our eyes. And so I think that things have evolved really rapidly in a way that even the big tech platforms didn't quite um, interpret. Uh, and I think this conversation is going on within Google at the moment. I think they're very challenged by the idea that an algorithmic-based search as opposed to a link-based search kind of changes everything. Uh, and so I, I think it is, I, I, my theory is this, we went through this incredible period of change between 2002 and 2007, where pretty much every piece of technology and platform that we now communicate with and, um, you know, social media and camera phones and the iPhone and all of these things came along in a five-year period of time. It's what I call the cascade of change. It's the most incredible change we've ever seen in the information ecosystem at any time in history. And then we got to the end of the, the you know you know the early two thousands. Then nothing changed for another fifteen years. Well, my theory is it's all about to change now. Again, we're going to go through another one of these cascades of change and artificial intelligence and uh, you know distributed content and personalised content and all of these sorts of things are about to sort of fundamentally turn the tables over again. So this is the real start of it right now. Um, and if you can kind of upend the business models that Facebook and Google and these very enduring monoliths of the digital world, um, uh, you, you know, things will change very rapidly. Uh, I, you know, I think there are a lot of risks in what may change, as there are often in technological change. Um, but nevertheless, we've all got to get our heads around it and we've all got to understand what we think might be those next big habit-changing shifts that users and audiences are going to be turning their minds to because, again, they'll get ahead of us uh, and the audiences will then drive what, what happens next in terms of organisations. So how would you, you know, as a, if you're running a, just, just say, a small independent media organisation <laughs> in, 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 you know, a little country like New Zealand. Like, what, what is the way to uh, to approach this? Because there is a there's a whole spectrum of responses that I know people who are almost like refuse to engage with it because it sort of scares them or they view it as kind of inherently unethical. I think that's a I understand that position. I just don't think it will withstand scrutiny. There's just a 
a fundamental, like how do you, you know, it, it feels very of a piece with the work that you did for the ABC, but for a whole new kind of era, you know, how, how would you get an organisation to, to sort of begin to ensure that it is able to surf this wave rather than be dumped by it kind of thing, if you pardon that clumsy analogy? So the biggest dynamic that I think will start to happen about now is that the audiences will start to, and, and users and consumers, customers, will just start to get ahead of organisations' ability to keep up with them. That's what we saw back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, that's what we've seen in every, every great fundamental shift in, in sort of media uh, and, and content creation is that the audiences get off and racing because something comes along that is easy to use, is intuitive to audiences, they enjoy the experience, they're not so uh, invested in some of the values that we organisations hold very dear, um, even though they may return to some of those values later on, which is what we saw in the sort of online digital revolution. Um, but if you're not in tune with where the customers and the audiences are going right now, you'll get left behind pretty quickly. Um, so what I think particularly media and content organisations cannot do is say, you know, what, we'll just hold back here and wait and see how it all evolves and, you know, and, and then we'll make some decisions and some changes because the, the pace at which the audience and the customer will get away from us means that it creates that task so much more difficult. I, I will go back to a theme that we talked about before, which is people value valuable things. And so if what organisations are able to do in this context is say, how do we rally around the thing that makes us most special and most different and provides most value to our audiences, then we've got the best fighting chance of, of, of staying relevant and, 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 and building on that, if you like. If we've stretched ourselves too thin over activities that, that mean that our uh, resources uh, is very distributed or we're trying too many things at once or we're holding on to legacy things that we're not willing to let go of, then that's fraught with danger in my view. If we zoom out a little bit, you know, this, this is ultimately like a tributary of, a, of an enormous... Uh, distribution and behavior change which is which has happened that's the reason why we're having to respond to it do you think you know ultimately like and it also feels like we're very early in in this thing uh even though it does feel very, very mature in some respects do you think that the the rise of UGC and the almost you know enormous power of the the international platforms, that, that that sort of top tier of them, you know, do you think public media can can survive and thrive in you know in amongst that, you know, given its relative scale versus the just the torrential force of of what's coming down the pipe to to particularly to those those younger audiences? I, I think two things matter to audiences more than anything else. The first is uh, is people value valuable things, um, and so if if what a domestic media, you know, a small domestic media in the context of a vast international ocean can achieve is to produce stuff that is very valuable uh, to that local audience, then I think um, local media has uh, a very healthy prospect ahead of it. Equally. Um, 
So people value valuable things. This is a firm belief of mine. And we saw that through the clickbait era where everybody rushed to this kind of, let's just create more chaff and throw it in the wind and hope that it sticks somewhere. Um, and what that era proved was that um, the nutrition that you get out of clickbait and in many cases, social media isn't very sustaining. Um, and then you saw this return to sort of trusted media sources because people value valuable things. That's the first observation. The second is I also think in places like New Zealand and places like Australia, local culture still matters a lot. Um, and anything that is able to capture local culture, reflect it back, listen to the audience, ensure that the content that's being created is in tune with the local culture and reflecting the values of that place. In many cases, it might be on a much smaller scale, but there's always going to be a place for that. Great storytelling in local cultures, in tune with local tastes and, and talents, I think still has a very potent place in the content ecosystem. So I'm not one of these people that says in the end we're all going to end up with a kind of Netflix and nothing or a Facebook and nothing. Um, I, I think, you know, people value valuable things and people love local culture. And those two things mean that uh, the organisations in New Zealand that serve those two needs will be successful. That's a pretty spectacular challenge to to end it on uh and yeah i just so appreciate your your time gavin and, and your insights into this really complicated really important uh situation that we have found ourselves in so yeah thank you so much for your time it's been great to chat duncan and, and look all the work that you've done there to grow a vibrant local media culture as well i think should be recognized and well done to you Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.